You are beautiful. You are worthy. Your dreams were put on your heart for a reason. No matter what anyone else might think of you for following them. So stand up, stand tall, and stand proud. You were made to shine. Yo, yo, yo. What's crack-a-lackin'? I said that the other day to somebody and they were like, what's crack-a-lackin'? What century are you from? And I was like, is that not, like, do people not say that anymore? I don't know if they ever said that. I say, Annie Mayfield says that. Annie Mayfield says what's crackin', what's crack-a-lackin'? I don't even know if that's a Southern statement. I don't know the origin of what's crack-a-lackin'. Anyways, we are at the beach and it is raining. And you know what? It's so true. A rainy day at the beach is better than a sunny day in Atlanta. I will just say it. I'm sorry for my Atlanta peeps that you're like diehard. Atlanta is the best. I would never go anywhere other than Atlanta. I do love Atlanta. I've lived there my whole life. I've chosen to stay there after I've graduated and gotten a job and I love it. But oh my gosh, the beach is just another, I can't even put it to words. It's just so rich and you just feel so centered. I was talking to someone the other day. I was talking to my friend yesterday. I sent him a picture. I was here and I was like, dude, I am at the beach finally and I have my feet in the sand finally and I genuinely do feel more centered. And there's this concept called earthing, 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 It might even be grounding in some scenarios, but where it's just this whole idea that when we are physically connected to the earth, we feel better. It's like, you know, like getting back to your roots. That's the root of that. It's like, it's getting back to your roots. It's getting back to the earth. And, and you know, that's biblical. Like God formed us from dust. So like when we connect with the ground, we are connecting with the energy of, of where we came from and like the just... I just love it. I love it. And I realized, wow, when I'm not at the beach, I'm really never, I'm never barefoot. You know, like I never touch the ground unless I'm at the beach. Cause in Atlanta, you touch the ground and you get a disease because good night knows what's on those grounds. There's nowhere to like go walk barefoot. You know what I mean? Um, I guess you could at the park, but anyways, I am just so appreciative and I'm so grateful that I'm here. And for those of you that, I've I've posted this podcast before, but I'm such a big believer in it. I can tell, maybe you're not like me, but I can tell when I'm off-centered. Like, I can tell when I need to get back to the beach, truly. Like, I was talking to my mom about this. Like, I I could tell. It's like, I need to get back to the water. I need to get back to the beach. It's, It's like I feel overwhelmed by things that typically don't overwhelm me. I am comparing myself to people in ways that I just, I never typically struggle with. And all of a sudden, and that's my cue. Like, okay, I need to take a beat. I need to take a breather. I need to go to the water. I need to go to the ocean. I need to go get away. And maybe for you, it's not the ocean, but you know, you know when you're off center. You know when you need to take a beat. And my prayer for you is that you have the bravery and the courage to act on that and actually do something about it. Whether that's a night away in a hotel room, if you're a mom of four and you ask your husband just for a night, 
Or if you're someone like me and you work a ton on a ton of different things and you have a crazy schedule and you take time to just go and be and sit and not do, just be. Sometimes I think, you know, we're so, we're asking God for so much and there's so much he wants to give to us, but our focus is just so diverted. We don't even, like the the messages he's trying to send us, they can't come to the surface. We're just so bogged down by comparison and jealousy and envy and thoughts about money and work and competition and all the stuff. So today, today, we're doing the athlete episode. Can I get a bouchical wow wow? I am bummed because I put this on my Insta story and you guys came back with some really, really interesting points that, you know, I'll tell a little bit about my story, but I myself as a former college athlete, you know, I didn't even realize when you guys put in, gave in some of this information that, that I struggled with that. And I would consider myself an aware person of myself. And like some of these things I struggled with, I did struggle with them, but I didn't have the vernacular to know like, oh, that's what I was struggling with. And you guys sent in all these things and it was so cool. And I had so many like revelations within myself, like, oh my God, yeah, that was something that I struggled with. And, um, and it was just so cool. And I, I'm super excited for this episode because here's the thing. And if you were not a former athlete, don't tune me out because I want to, I want to propose my definition of athletics or being an athlete. My definition of being an athlete is anyone who consistently, rigorously, dedicatedly, if that is a word, we might be making up words here and that's fine, but just on a regular basis moves their body to an extent where they they are in training. Like I think an athlete, the core of it is you are in training in some shape or form. And, you know, we could go deeper. Like I don't think it's just physical. Like Paul in the New Testament, he talks about how we are in training. Like when you put your life in Christ, you're in training. You're in training to be more like him. And and to me, someone in training to be more like Christ, like that's an athlete. Anyone who's in training is an athlete. And there's different type of athletics. But for the purposes of today, I want to talk about physical athletics. I want to talk about sports. And like I said, maybe you were like me, you were in collegiate sports. Maybe you were in intramural sports, whatever that might be. We're focusing on that today because our world, and I think before we get into the the shift that happens when you graduate from playing a sport full time and or participating in a sport and then no longer having that. Or maybe it's like you had a career ending injury, right? Like you were always a runner. You didn't run for school, but you just always ran. And then you pulled your ACL and were told you could never run again or not in the same way or the same distance. Like the shift, we're talking about that shift today. But before we talk about the things I've identified that people struggle with when they go through that transition, I think it's important to understand why athletics are so predominant for people in their life. 
And it's not just because of the, the health factors. I think you can get addicted to the, the health factors involved with athletics. I know I have, and it's a good addiction. Like it's a good thing to be really involved with your health and, and the nature of your body and taking care of yourself. But I also think that there is this ego factor involved. And I say that not from a seat of judgment, but from a seat of, of, uh, like, yeah, I get it because I felt that I felt that ego in the past and I still do sometimes sports is probably one of the most celebrated things in our world. It's been for, for centuries back from when they did the Olympics in Greece and, you know, people were throwing things and I mean, or gosh, what was the, what was it when they did like the, the gladiator stuff? I mean, we've always celebrated sports and almost idolized anyone that was really good at sports. I remember as a kid, like for me in high school, I felt so out of place. Or no, sorry, middle school. In sixth grade, I was so insecure. I was so quiet. I was like a mouse quiet. I was mute. And I really didn't hit my stride into making friends, into finding my voice, into becoming now the person that people are like, does she ever shut up? I didn't find that until seventh grade when we were finally able to join a sports team. And here were all these years I had been doing sports and all of a sudden now I was able to have a platform to show it. And all of a sudden, this seventh grader was actually really good at tennis. And I kind of got some clout for it. And I got some confidence there. And I was able to have that confidence and go make friends and do all the things. And so I speak from a, from a place of I get it. Like, we all fall prey to that. There's this ego behind being good at sports and behind the purpose of it. And we wrap our identity in it. And that's one of the things I'm going to talk about. But we wrap our identity in this ability to do this physical thing and not just do this physical thing, but to do this physical thing well. And that's not a bad thing until it gets to the point where we put all of our identity into this thing that we do instead of the person who defines who we are, which is Jesus and God. And for me personally, for those of you who don't know my story, you know, I, I grew up, I played soccer for about 10 years. My, my family was a huge soccer family. And then it, you know, some drama with the coach. I hated the coach. He was so mean, would yell at me all the time. He called every other girl by their first name, but he refused to call me Annie. He called me Mayfield and that just ticked me off. And so I went and played tennis because my tennis coach was so nice to me and would give me cookies every time I got the ball in the court. And I was like, this is a no brainer. And so, you know, I, I quit like, and at the time I was on the team, which this sounds crazy, but as like 10 years old, I was on the team that was like, these were the girls that were going to go play college soccer or so all these coaches and parents acted like it. And I literally just quit it. And people were so confused. And I went and played tennis, which I was fine at, but not as good as I was at soccer. But I loved tennis. And I loved the people that God gifted me with in tennis to coach me and to mentor me. And so I ended up going to college for tennis. And I was obsessed with tennis. Obsessed. I, you know, in high school, I was in a really long relationship. It ended not great at all. And I put all my identity in tennis and I became obsessed with it. I remember 
and I hope none of my high school teachers are listening to this, I would skip class. Like I would tell my teachers I have a doctor's appointment and I would go home because we had a tennis court at our old house and I would have tennis lessons during the day. I just like senior year, I was just literally not at school. I was playing tennis. I was obsessed. And then I went to college, played tennis, junior year, got really hurt, was out for like six months and fell in love with running beforehand. That's why I got hurt because I was doing too much. And when I realized I did not miss tennis at all, I missed running, I I ended up quitting tennis to go run and not run for Wofford, but just run for me. Day before my senior year of Wofford, my sweet mate reaches out asking, would you be interested in running cross country for Wofford? Which was my dream. But I mean, I wasn't going to ask them because it's a D1 school. So, you know, it's not like a school where you just walk on the team. It's like, this is a big program. And I said, uh, yeah, it was such a God thing. So I ended up doing that my senior year. When I graduated and when I was talking to people this past weekend, I think there's a couple of things. I really identified six things that athletes go through in this transition that are really hard. And that whether you realize it or not, it it, it pays a lot of, um, it has a huge effect on kind of your transition from college to post-college to maybe you're working or whatever it is. Actually, I just thought of another thing. So we're going to say seven things. (laughs) Isn't God good like that? He just gives me things on the fly. Okay, first thing, movement. When you're a college athlete, like for those of you that may not know, this was my schedule each day. Now, granted, I was psycho. So I in addition to tennis, was running like almost a marathoner runner would. So, you know, in college, I would wake up at like four, I would crank out like 10 miles and then I would go to class and then I would have weights or lifting for like 45 minutes. And then I would go to, we typically had conditioning either before or after practice. So typically like two hours of practice a day, about anywhere from five to six days a week. And then I would have Conditioning too, like three or four times a week. So you're constantly moving. And what I've realized now being in the workforce is it's not even like, yes, I was a college athlete. I was moving all the time. But it was also like on a college campus, you're walking everywhere. You walk all the time. I mean, I remember getting in bed at night and my legs felt like they had been run over by a Ford 150. Is that what it's called? I don't even know if that's the, the big truck the big truck. I mean, it felt like I had just been hammered on my legs, but I loved it. I mean, it's like I couldn't sleep at night if I wasn't exhausted because I was so used to that. And when you graduate, you don't, it's like you don't move as much and you don't move in the same way. And so all of a sudden, you know, you're, you're not moving as much. And so your energy, like it's affected because movement creates more movement. Momentum creates more momentum. And so you feel like almost foggy at first is how I would describe it. But then also you're not moving in the same way. I mean, I know for me, like running was an easier transition because it's easier for me to just go run. But with tennis, I can't like, if I want to go play tennis and I don't have tennis practice that day, it takes a lot of intention. Like I have to find someone to hit with. We have to find courts. And when you're working full time, that really isn't, it's not very possible. It's just not. And so 
for a lot of, like, if you were a baseball player, if you were a, uh, if you were a gymnast, it, whatever it is, you're not moving in that same way nearly as much on a regular basis. And so at first that's nice because you might've been a little burned out if you were like me. It took me like two years to want to touch a tennis racket again. But eventually it's hard because, you know, a lot of our sports, what they did is they tricked us into exercising. You were so focused on getting the ball in the hoop. You didn't realize you were sprinting to get there. You were so focused on chasing that ball down when the girl hit it cross court. You didn't realize you were side sprinting to get there. You were, or karaoke to get there. You didn't realize that you were trying so hard to spike the ball into the court over the net. You didn't realize the squat jump that it took to get to that height to get there. And so movement, when you're not playing a sport, you're much more aware of the fact that you're exercising and that can really suck sometimes. I mean, I don't know about you, but I always preferred like doing, getting my squats in a tennis match when I was serving and, and sitting to do my forehand in the court than just like doing squats in a gym. Because I'm just doing squats in a gym. I know I'm doing squats in a gym. You know what I mean? And, and a lot of times that's a really tough transition for people. In fact, some people have never exercised without being forced to or without being required to by a coach or a trainer. And so when you graduate or when you are no longer an athlete, or it, it's about finding new ways to move. And that can be really hard when you don't have someone telling you what to do and how to do it and when to do it. But here's my thing for you. Look at it as an opportunity to get to know a different part of your body. That's what I realized for me. And I'm going to have to speed it up here because I got six more things to talk about. But what I realized for me is that as I continued to try new movements, I was like, oh my gosh, wait, what is this Pilates? I actually like it. It doesn't suck like I thought it would. Wait, what is this? I actually like, like when I was when I didn't make the lineup my freshman year and I was devastated and I started running, I was like, oh my God, I love running. I love it. And y'all might not be as psycho as me and like want to quit the team for it, but you know, you find new ways to move. And so my encouragement to you is be disciplined enough to do it until you desire it. What do I mean by that? When I first started doing Pilates, I hated it. I was used to workouts that made my heart feel like they were on fire from, from college sports. But I was disciplined in doing Pilates because I know it was good for me. And now I love it. And so when you find a, a movement you're intrigued by, be disciplined enough to do it until you love it. Desire comes after discipline. You are disciplined. You were a college athlete. Your discipline is going to look a little different now, but that's okay. Be disciplined enough to try a new movement until you desire it. All right, we're moving on here. Let's talk food because this is a huge thing that no one talks about when you graduate. A lot of athletes, one, the nutrition information for athletes is so, oh, don't even get me started. It's so messed up. It can range from a lot of nutritionists. They, they probably tell you to have like 
not even getting you 1,500 to 2,000 calories more than you probably need to fuel your body for any sort of athletic event. And they always put the emphasis on carbs. It's like carbs, energy, like literally, instead of what it should be, which is protein. Now, that being said, when people graduate, there's kind of two extremes. The first is people, they continue to eat like they were when they were athletes, burning about... 4,000 calories a day. They continue to eat like they're burning 4,000 calories a day, but they're not working out like they're burning 4,000 calories a day. The second is the individuals who are so fully aware they're not exercising nearly as much as they were before, and so they barely eat anything because they were never educated on how to eat when you're not training for something, when you're not an athlete training for a match or a game or a race. Now, here's the thing, because I understand like hiring a nutritionist, hiring a nutrition coach, that can be costly, that can be expensive. And so what I want to encourage you to do, whichever way you take, your body knows what it needs. This is what I learned so much from college when I made the transition to even now, like I do work out twice a day, but I don't move nearly as much as I did in college. I just don't, I, I just, I work so much, I can't. And your body knows. Your body knows. It's not a matter of knowing what to eat and how to eat it and when to eat it. It's more so a matter of being in tune with your body. Your body knows when it's hungry. Your body knows when it's not. And when your body is hungry, it's not craving food. It's craving nutrients. I'm going to say that again. Anyone athlete or not needs to hear that. When your body's hungry, it's not craving food. It's craving nutrients. And so you need to give it good protein. You need to give it some good carbs. You need to give it some some healthy fats. It's craving nutrition. And there's a difference, especially with how our food's made today. But when you're making that transition, look at it as an awareness When you move a lot in the day, your body knows it's burning calories. It will tell you. It will tell you, hey, I need you to feed me more. When you don't, it will tell you, I don't need anything right now. A lot of times for me, like I know the days I I don't work out as much, like my body, it's not as hungry and I listen to it. We've just got to listen to it, okay? So I know it's tough, but when you make that transition out of college, You're going to either have one of those two extremes. And my encouragement to you is your body knows what it needs. Listen to it. The other things that I think people don't talk about that are hard is the schedule. It's the schedule that sports provides. I know for me, like, and and let me make this not about college sports, because some of you are not, you didn't play college sports or athletes, but like, when I got injured this past year, my workouts literally set the schedule for my day. I mean, truly, like, my day revolves around my workouts. So like, I have my morning one, and I have my afternoon one. I schedule those, and then I, everything else falls into place. Everything else falls after that. They're the foundation of my day. And when I got injured, it's like, uh, what? I don't have that anymore. I don't have that schedule. And a lot of times when we graduate from school and we don't have that schedule, we don't have practice at three. We don't have 
all the, you know, we don't have conditioning at 11. Our schedule goes away. And the, 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 the framework of our schedule goes away. The bones, the structure, we don't have it. And that's something that can be very difficult for a lot of people, especially people that aren't good at time management, that naturally need someone to give them a schedule and to give them structure. This is what I think. When I think about structure, I love structure. I love talking about structure. In your day, you're going to have non-negotiables and you're going to have priorities, okay? Now, work, this is aside from your job. I think I'm talking to mostly post-college people. So this is aside from your job. Or if you're still in college, this is aside from your schoolwork. Your non-negotiables each day should be wrapped up in the things that are going to help your body, your spirit, your heart, and your mind. Your body, spirit, heart, and mind, okay? And so those those things, those are your schedule. And so let's say if you're injured and you can't work out, then guess what becomes your pillars of your new schedule? It's the other things you do to help your mind, your heart, and your, your spirit. So maybe it's your Bible study. Instead of working out twice a day, you do your Bible study twice a day. Or maybe instead of working out twice a day, you do your meal prep twice a day. Or instead of working out twice a day or having practice at three, you do your meditation at three. Substitute it for other things that help keep you on track. Identify your pillars and make them separate from your job. You are not a human doing, you are a human being. So take care of that first. Those are your pillars. The other thing I think we don't talk about enough is your identity. When you wrap your identity in a sport, Lord knows this happens to me all the time. (laughs) And we're like, when it's happening in college, when you graduate, all of a sudden, like you're not the guy on the football team. You're not number three in the tennis lineup. You're just you. You're just you. And that's really hard. But I want to remind you that your identity, who you are, is always found in Christ. That is always found in God. Your sport is not who you are. It's something you do. They are two very different things. Because even though you did that and it's done, You are still there. You are moving on. You are going to a new chapter of your life. You are growing into this new version of yourself. We, we act like if I came up to you and you were acting like you were your sweatshirt, like imagine a person that like really associated with a sweatshirt and they like, they got to the point where like they couldn't go outside. They couldn't meet for it. They couldn't. They could not be around anyone. They could not do anything if they didn't have that sweatshirt on. It would, it would start to stink. And some of us are walking around and we're a little stinky because we're wearing things and identifying ourselves with things that should have been taken off long time ago. A long time ago. You're, you're 36 and you're still living as a 22-year-old person in college talking about your glory days every single family dinner. You stink. You stink. You need to take that sweatshirt off. 
That way you can actually clean it, put it up, and let it serve as a beautiful memory of where you once were, but also as a stepping stone to all the beautiful things, a jumping off board as to all the beautiful things God had for you to come. If we grip on so tightly to the past, we cannot accept the next step. We cannot accept the future. We cannot accept all the beautiful things God is bringing us into because our hands, our fists are closed. They're white knuckled on the past. And so when we wrap our identity in those sports, it causes us to not know who we are after the fact that they're over. And I know that's hard. And most people don't learn this until after the fact. I didn't. So I'm not telling you. And if you're an athlete right now and you hear this, thank God you're hearing this at a time where you should. Because if you can start this before your sport ends, that's even better. But the truth is most of us don't learn this until after. But your identity, who you are, it's not a sweatshirt. It's not a sport. Heck, I don't mean to be preaching, but it's not a relationship. It's not a job. It's not a bank account number. It's not a body image. It's not a status. It's not a rank. It's not a, it's not a partnership. It's not a symbol. It is a child of God. And that is who you are throughout the entirety of your life. And so many of us, when we stop our sport, we feel like we don't know who we are. It's like a breakup. My dad would always, always, I remember I'd come home from tennis tournaments and there was a time um, when I told you guys, I went through that awful breakup and I was putting my entire identity in, in tennis. It was my senior year of high school and junior year. And when I wouldn't win the tournament, I like was, I mean, depressed. I, I didn't want to talk to anyone. I didn't want to go to dinners. I didn't want to go, I didn't want to go anywhere. I didn't want to see anyone. I just, I remember I, there, I had a spot at this, uh, at the river, the Chattahoochee River, and I'd run there. It's like a three-mile run. I'd sprint there at the end of the tournament if I lost, and I'd just sit and cry. And it was because it wasn't I lost the tournament. It was I am a loser. I am that loss. Tennis was my identity. Sports were my identity. And it was because I had my identity in a relationship that didn't work out. So I moved my identity into something else I felt like I could control. But until you put your identity in Christ, everything you think you can control, you can't. You're always going to feel like a loser because you lose what you can't control. And you can't control anything outside of you, including a sport. And that's where a lot of us are or a lot of us were. And that's a harsh reality, but it's a necessary message because some of us need to hear. We need to hear that there's something better, broader, stronger, deeper, firmer. We can put our identity in and that identity is Christ and that identity will always be Christ. He gave you that sport as a gift, but a lot of times we tend to worship the gift and not the giver. And my encouragement for you, if you are struggling with this, is to surrender to the fact that who you are never lied in what you could do. 
in that particular vehicle. And God has other vehicles for you to serve and express his love and his glory through. But until you release your grip on the old, you can't embrace the new. And that kind of ties me to the next thing of, of purpose and dreams. I know I'm a dreamer. Oh, Lord, am I a dreamer. I'm a dreamer if I've ever seen a dreamer. I could just sit. When I was little, we'd go on car rides. I loved car rides. My parents said that whenever I was crying as a baby, they would just put me in the car and, um, and drive. And I would just be looking out the window. And I, for some reason, I just would stop crying. And it's funny because I am still that way. I love the car because as I drive or as when I was little, like even going on cars with my parents and I would just look out the window and like I would just daydream and God would just give me dreams. And even as a kid, I didn't really understand it, but like hours would go by and I would write it all down and I still have them. And it would just be dreams that God gave me and like, oh, maybe one day I'll speak or, oh, I, I think I like, wow, like that'd be really cool to write one day. And I remember these things as a kid and I'm such a dreamer and sports, sports allows you to dream. It allows you to feel like you're part of something bigger than yourself because you're working for it. You care about it. I mean, any of you that are like me, and I mean like my, my other level sport athletes that like you're really, like you, you're getting up at three, you're going and doing the sprints before school, you're, you're staying late after, you're doing all the things. Why? What is that fire in your belly? It's purpose. Sports gives you purpose. You want to work hard because you feel like you're a part of something. You feel like you matter for something. You feel like you belong to something. Sports gives you that purpose. It gives you that reason. It gives you that 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 feeling like you're actually progressing. I think when we feel stuck and when we feel stagnant is when we can kind of get depressed. I know I can. In sports, even now, like I consider myself an athlete. I'm not playing a sport, but my workouts, like going to the gym, it makes me feel like I'm, I'm moving forward and I'm getting better and I'm progressing my life. And when I do that, it makes me want to progress in other areas. And sports gives you that gift of progression. And when you don't have that anymore, all of a sudden you can feel so, like you just have no direction. Like there's just no point anymore. Like, okay, I, well, wait, what am I, what am I here for? You don't feel important. You don't feel significant. Because being a part of something and belonging to a purpose makes you feel important. It makes you feel like there's a reason for why you're here, which bleeds into so many other areas of your life. And again, if I could just let you know that I can't, I won't speak for you. I won't speak for anyone else. I will speak for no one else, but Annie B. Mayfield right here and say, when I took my need for belonging and purpose and I stopped filling it with sports and I started filling it with Christ, reminding myself I belong to the ultimate purpose. I belong to the ultimate sport. 
the ultimate source of training, the ultimate reason for training, when I belong to the ultimate cause, that's when my life changed. Because guess what? No injury, no timeline, no graduation, nothing can take away that purpose in my life. Nothing can take away that reason for my training. Nothing can take away that part of my cause, of his cause. That's when my life changed. And I offer you humbly the suggestion that's probably when yours will too. And it's not an overnight change. It's an everyday reminder. It's an everyday reminder. Hey, I get to do this sport. I get to go to this soccer game tonight. I get to go to that tennis match today. I get to go work out on that stair step today. I get to go run that marathon today. But whose I am, the purpose I serve, the reason I'm here, the cause I'm a part of, the root of my worth, it's not in these things I get to do. It's in the person that tells me who I am, that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, that I am made for a reason, that he gives me every place that he sets my foot. He is my reason. He is my purpose. And anything I do reflecting back to him is my purpose. That is a sustaining purpose. That is the ultimate dream. A dream running for God, that's the team I want to be on. And that team is all-inclusive and never-ending. It doesn't end when you graduate college. It doesn't end when you retire from professional sports. It doesn't end when you stop high school sports. It doesn't end when you get injured and you can't do the thing you once loved to do. It doesn't end when you get an accident and you're paralyzed for the rest of your life. It doesn't end with your body when you age. It doesn't end with your physical nature. It's constant. And the last thing, community. I was talking to my mom the other day because no one talks about how hard it is to make friends outside of college. It's hard. I'm sorry for my still college folks that you're listening to this and you're like, well, thank you, Annie, for the forward-looking encouragement. I am so looking forward to post-college where it is obviously so freaking hard to make friends. Thank you so much. I am so excited. But it's true. It's hard because think about it. In college, you are literally surrounded by friend prospects all the time. Like the lunchroom, your sorority, your sports team. Like you have just opportunity for community everywhere. And it doesn't require much effort on your end. I think that's the, the key there is it doesn't require much effort on your end. Like you don't have to necessarily go really look for it because it's just there. I mean, you walk two, free, two feet to the person across the dorm and, you know, you meet them or you meet them in the, in the communal bathroom. When you're out of school, you don't have that. Like even at your job, I know for my job, I work with a lot of people my age, but we're all in different seasons of life. Like some are about to get married, some are about to get engaged, some have kids. Like life is busy. You, If you don't plan to meet people, if you don't make plans to see people, even people you've been friends with, you won't. You don't have chapter on Tuesdays. You don't have practice every single day. You don't have those things. 
And maybe you're naturally someone that like you just love to go to events and meet people and network. I'm not that person. I'm not. I am an outgoing introvert by nature. Like I love people, but I also love being by myself. And I hate more than anything going to places where I know no one and having to just like introduce myself to a bunch of people. I hate that. I hate it so much. And if you're not like that, you can't relate and that's fine. But but when I graduated college, I realized, oh my gosh, like if I don't do that kind of stuff, I'm not going to meet anybody new. Especially if you've moved to a new place for work and you don't know anyone, or maybe you're like me and like you, you came back to the place you grew up, but a lot of the friends you used to hang out with, you realize like, I, I, I need to make new friends because the friends I grew up with were different now and we have different values and I need to meet people that have my values. So you have to meet new people and it's hard. It's hard. And what I told my mom the other night was, you know, what I think sports gave me more than anything was forced community. And sometimes forced community is the best re- community. What do I mean by that? I saw my tennis teammates like three times a day, every day. And I wasn't organizing it. You know what I mean? It was like our coach was like, okay, three o'clock every day, it's practice. And then we had weights and it was forced community. And when we were forced to go to practice, we would talk and then make plans for after practice. And it led to hanging out so much more because initially, Initially, we had to gather for something we didn't necessarily plan. There's a a huge difference between saying, hey guys, we're all going to get together and do this at three versus a higher figure telling you y'all are all coming at three. The second option's a lot less on your end to do. You just have to show up and you reap all the benefits of community. That's how a lot of adult friendships are like nowadays. It's like you have to make the initiative and we're not used to that. And so sports gives you this community. It gives you this common thread friendship based on a foundation of like having to see each other every day. So maybe you even become friends with someone you didn't think you'd ever be friends with just because it gives you that scheduled opportunity to build that friendship. And that's really rare. That's really rare. Outside of you know, sometimes your work provides that. Sometimes it doesn't, especially like for me, I know because I work a corporate job that I love, but I also am an entrepreneur. So I, I have a lot of entrepreneurial friends. And one of the things they say is the biggest pain about being an entrepreneur is you don't have interaction with people. Like at the office, I love my corporate office because I see so many people I just love to death. And, and it's kind of, it, it, it emulates that forced interaction from sports because like we have to be at the office, we have to see each other and I love it. Entrepreneurs don't have that. And sports, when you graduate, you don't have that scheduled interaction anymore. And you also don't have those friendships with people that it's a very rare friendship to, I mean, the only other times I've seen it is like in the military. When you go through something with someone and you go through things that are physical, mental, emotional, it's a different kind of bond. Like I think about my coworkers, for example, I love them to death, but, but we've never, you know, gone through a workout together or a mat, like a tennis match together where our lungs felt like they were about to explode. They were so tired and, you know, we lost and we were gut wrenched and like just sobbed together. 
Yeah, like we never had that together. But in a sports team, you do. Because it's a, it's a different type of bond. It's a deeper, it's a deeper bond. And you lose that when you graduate. And my advice, and this is something I'm hesitant to give advice because I still am struggling with it and I'm still going through it. But what I can say is a companion walking alongside you in this is you got to get over yourself. For so long, I was waiting. I was waiting for someone like my old coach to just organize my group and organize my friends and like, okay, y'all are going to show up here and now. And no, you've got to be proactive. A skill I've been working on the past two years since I've graduated is I am the organizer. I will organize dinners. I will organize events. I will organize when my friends get together. I will, I will sign up for the Bible studies. I will organize that because if I don't, it won't happen. And if you don't, it won't happen because 99% of the people, 99% of the people will not do it. They won't do it. And so you have to be the one to do it. And that takes humility. It does. Because it's awkward and it's uncomfortable. If you're not used to it, it's so freaky. But you got to do it. You got to do it. Because it's the only way that it happens. I promise. I promise. And so I'm going to wrap this up. This is a lot longer than I thought it was going to be. But hey, we had seven points to get through. So... I know it's hard and it's uncomfortable. You wore an outfit for so long and for so many years and all of a sudden you were asked to take it off and put on something new that doesn't quite fit right and it's itchy and it doesn't look good and it's not your color. I get it. I remember... When I graduated and I was no longer playing sports, part of me was excited because I could own my own schedule. But after a while, I just felt lonely. I missed my team. I miss being part of that. Miss being part of a group that pushed each other physically, mentally, emotionally, spiritually. I miss that. I miss the locker room. I miss the, the uniform, like being a part of someone or something. And all I can say to you is that though you might not feel a part of something right now, you are. And though you may not feel a part of a team right now, you are. And though you might not feel like you're training for anything right now, you are. When you put your hope and your identity and your faith and your light and your everything about you, when you put that in Christ, you become a part of the ultimate sports team. The ultimate sports team with brothers and sisters from all around, from teammates of all around. And I say sports team because it's hard work. It is not easy to follow Jesus. Trust me. Someone said something to me the other day and I wanted to punch him in the face, but I didn't, but I didn't. And it was not easy. It's not easy. It's not easy to go through what you're going through. It's not easy to devote your life and your heart and to love a sport so much and then to be just done with it. 
to have given all that time and that energy and your tears and your sweat and just, and it's done. That's not easy. But what I'm here to say is that in Jesus, we go from glory to glory. He's not done with your story. And as great as those memories might've been, as great as those years might've been, as great as those moments might've been, they are not the best part of your life. The best is yet to come. I believe that so much. The very best physically, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, communally, I think I'm making up words again, but community-based wise, it is still yet to come. You go from glory to glory in him. And so yes, those times might've been glorious, but they're not the end. They're not the final. You are still going. You are still in training. So do not stop. Do not get up. Do not get stagnant. Do not stay here. Do not get stuck in the past. We are called to move forward. And every place we go, he gives us a step. He gives us a place. He gives us an identity. He gives us a spot on his team every day, every day. And so we're going from glory to glory. And that sport is part of your story, but it's not the entire story. Your story didn't begin with that sport and it doesn't end with that sport. I know it's hard, but you're part of a bigger team. And it's up to you if you wanna accept your position or not. But I hope you do. I hope you do. Because it's training time, baby. Every day. Every day is training time. I'm sending so much love. Hey friend, thanks so much for listening all the way through. The fact that you did says so much about your willingness and curiosity to get into your personal development and growth. You guys, if this episode touched you and your spirit in any way, I pray that you share with two friends that you think would really find value in this. This is how these messages get around. And I know I personally just really appreciate when a friend thinks of me when they listen to something and think that I'll find value in it as well. Also, if you find so willing, please tag to your Instagram stories and make sure to tag Annie B. Mayfield. At the end of every month, I will be doing a drawing from everyone that is posted on their Instagram stories for a $50 Amazon gift card. You guys, I appreciate and love you all so much. Have an amazing day.